Welcome to the D&D Roundtable, your premier source for D&D news. We cover everything D&D from Wizards of the Coast. We cover updates from the convention circuit. We cover new and exciting products, casts and streams, and events for D&D. We cover happenings in organized play. If it's D&D related, we cover it here. Industrious Ferret is by Kevin McLeod at Incomptech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Hey, we'd really appreciate it if you dropped us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks. Support for the Tome Show comes from Noble Knight. From Noble Knight. Noble Knight? Knight? Thousands of tabletop gamers use a Noble Knight to sell new and out-of-print games and products at a discounted price. Noble Knight will also buy back the game products you aren't using anymore. NobleKnight.com, the brick-and-mortar online store where out-of-print is available again. Tell them the Tome Show sent you. I use Noble Knight. You do? I love it. I'm Paige Lightman. I'm one of the hosts of the D&D Roundtable, and today we have a really cool show with an ensemble of very interesting people that you're going to love hearing from. Today, we're going to be talking to Ashley Warren and several contributors to the Uncaged Anthology. The Uncaged Anthology is a series of four volumes of short D&D adventures that flipped feminist tropes. And, uh, and we start every show with a warm-up question, just to kind of uh, shake, shake everybody into ready-to-talk-about-it mode. So even before we do introductions, let's start with our get-to-know-you question. Today, our get-to-know-you question is, what got you into Dungeons & Dragons in the first place? So as you answer this, uh, be sure and state your name so our audience knows who you are. Like I said, we'll do formal introductions in a moment, and then talk about how you got into Dungeons & Dragons in the first place. I'll go first. Uh, what got me into Dungeons & Dragons in the first place is I was the weird kid that liked monsters. And I saw the monster manual in the bookstore one day when I was about 11 or 12. And I'm like, Mom, buy me the book about monsters. She did. And then I read it and I was super confused because it was not stories about monsters, which is what I had expected. After a little homework, I ended up with the, the red box of D&D. And that was 1982. And I've been going strong ever since. Jenny, you want to answer that next? Yeah. Um, so mine's a lot shorter than yours because what really got me into D&D was my good friend Katie Cole and my passion for all things fantasy that I have had for as long as I can remember anything in the world. I've loved everything fantastical. But in college, she was like, hey, I'm running this game. You can be like an elf and we're going to do adventures. And I'm like, all right, sold. And that's pretty much all she wrote. Um, here I am doing everything I can do and spreading the gospel. 
All right, who would like to go next? Give us your name and how you got into D&D in the first place. Um, I'm Ashley Warren. Thank you for having me. And I, my story is kind of similar to Ginny's in the sense that I've had a passion for fantasy and fantasy role play and science fiction and everything geeky since I can remember my whole life. And I've actually only been playing D&D for a few years, but I used to kind of peruse the old uh, rule sets when I would go to the library and I was really excited about the potential for storytelling like that, but I just didn't know what a game looked like and I didn't really know how to get into it and I just didn't have any friends who were super into that at the time. So um, a few years ago my friends and I just decided that this was an activity that we wanted to do together and it was love at first dice roll. So um, I'm hooked and my whole life is about D&D and I don't remember what my life was like before that. That is pretty cool. All right who was next? I'll go next. All right. Get it done. So I'm Kat, and I got into D&D because of my mother. So she had a huge fantasy book collection, which literally took up rooms and rooms of our house. And amongst the many and varied covers with dragons on were the Dragonlance novels. And at the age of about 10, I started reading Dragons of Autumn Twilight, and eventually it clicked that, like, there was a game that you could play with this. And oh, I those could, books were so good. Right. I keep going back to them and thinking I'm, I've got time to read a five book series or whatever it is, but I haven't, I don't have that much time. Um, so I read the books and then I think eventually after like a couple of years of pestering, my mum got me the red box or a red box and I had no one to play it with. And then one day in my maths class, when I was 13, I heard some kid behind me talking about rolling a character and I turned my chair around, muscled in on their conversation and didn't leave them alone until they let me play D&D with them. And that was 22 years ago. Here I am. Hey, I'm a nerd. That is pretty awesome. Uh, what about Gwen? Do you want to go next? Sure. Uh, my story, I guess, is pretty similar to um, Ginny's and to Ashley's. So I grew up just loving fantasy stuff. And I had friends who lived far away from me, but they would always talk about playing Dungeons & Dragons when we were in college. And I remember just feeling so left out and offended that everyone was being beautiful elves without me. Um, and it took me probably about four or five years before I expressed enough passive interest for them to set up a baby's first D&D game for me and several other friends who had, over the years, kind of gone, oh, that sounds kind of fun, maybe I'm into that. So a friend of ours set up a Roll20 game of Curse of Strahd, and that was my first ever D&D game. And it's still going on three years later, because we can only meet about once every three months. Um, <laughs> fortunately, Good game, though. Yeah. <laughs> fortunately, I've had other D&D games since. Uh, but yeah, fairly new to the scene, and having a great time. No regrets, no looking back. All right. Uh, how about Nemo? Hi. Hey. Um, I'm Nemo, yeah. And uh, my story is very similar to everyone else, really. I just really liked fantasy when I was a kid, and I would always play make-believe games. They were very um, intricate, very well-developed, you know? Uh, but it wasn't until college that I got around to playing D&D 3.5. And it didn't really click with me. It was very... Uh, mechanical and it didn't really flow very well 
I'm sorry, I'm struggling a little bit to find words in English. It's not my uh, first language. And uh, when only a year ago, I started playing fifth edition with a few college, a few college friends. And since then, I have fallen in love, and I just dove right into this world. I mean, <laughs> I started DMing a few months after playing, and then I started writing, and then suddenly I'm here. That that is a good progression, though. That is a good progression. What about Jess, or do you prefer Jessica? I go by either. Uh, so my story is a little different. I. Like everybody else, I loved fantasy. I was really into acting. And my high school boyfriend invited me to play D&D &D with him and his friends. And midway through character creation, the DM showed up and refused to let me play and said that he did not allow girls in his game. So I was really angry. I went home pretty mad. And I refused to be involved in D&D &D at all for almost 15 years. And then I was telling this story to a friend of mine who is a very accomplished DM. And he invited me into his game to give me a better experience. And I was immediately hooked. And within about, I think, three months, I was running my own games. And it's been a pretty wild ride since then. That is awesome. Liz, did you already go? I did not. Okay, good. I was, I was <laughs> going through the list, but I didn't want to forget anybody. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I started out the classic nerdy kid who was into fantasy. Um, my dad had actually pla played, I can talk really, uh, my dad had played D&D, &D, uh, like the first edition back in college, and he still had some of his minis around that I used to play with. I think he also had like a D120 or something for some reason and I was super curious about that but he didn't really talk about it because my mum had stopped him playing when they got married um and then in high school I used to steal my friend's monster manual and other books for third edition and I would pour through them every class um and I was always fascinated in with them but they never let me into their games um and cut to years later um and i had had a couple of experiences with tabletop role playing but hadn't really been in the right state of mind to properly get into it and still had that fascination and then cat and i started watching critical role and that kind of reminded me of this thing was something that I was always interested in and that led to the both of us playing some one-on-one -on -one Pathfinder games because there weren't any groups around us then we moved uh, we got a car and one day looked on meetup and discovered that an hour away from us there was this community of I think it was like a hundred players around that time across about 20 games wow. um, <laughs> fittingly in Dorking um, <laughs> <laughs> I love that and 
that kind of that triggered so many games um and haven't looked back that was just over two years ago and then last year going to D&D in a castle which was the most incredible experience just sort of pushed the, me into the ads um, for that if they were if the if the actual experience wasn't <laughs> as good as the advertising it was still amazing it, <laughs> it, it was life-affirming in a very cheap to sound very cheesy but um it kind of just sort of let everything click that hey D isn't just this thing that I can play, it's where I can channel all of my hobbies into. And here I am. That's an amazing story, and I'm just going to let you know, I am completely and utterly jealous that you got to go to D&D in a castle. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it was incredible, and yeah. I'm going back this year. Oh, that's fantastic. And yeah, it was life-changing, really. So if, if you're in our audience and you don't know about D&D in a castle... Just Google it. It's amazing. It's a it's an all inclusive Dungeons and Dragons LARP food event. Immersive uh, experience. Yes, that they do once a year in a castle, and it's very luxe and uh, very very cool. We should do a show on that. Yeah, that's a great. I'll idea. put that in the notes. All right, but today's show, Uncaged. So you might be asking yourself, what is Uncaged? Ashley, can you tell us, tell our audience, uh, the the elevator pitch for Uncaged? What is it? Why should people be interested in it? How is it fun? Sure. So Uncaged is a collection of adventures that each focus on a female mythological creature, monster, or figure. And each adventure is intended to subvert and reinvent the tropes that surround that character. And why people should buy it is because it's freaking awesome. And we have a global contributor community and many of whom are first time writers. And um, this is their first time being published. And many of whom are marginalized creators women, non-binary folks, people of color, it's just uh, various ages. It really is just like this amazing, diverse community of creators who all came together to, to produce this project. So it's intended to be a resource for DMs to introduce, you know, new stories to their, to their table and put a new spin on creatures that people are familiar with, including Medusas, Harpies, Banshees, and just so much more. Many, many different, uh, many different critters. So, so give us some history here. How how did this come about? How what what set this in motion? How did you decide? You know what? I have this idea. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask ask the world what they think, and if anybody wants to write for it, like how did that process happen? Sure. So it's an idea that I had been sitting on for a long time. I have been writing D&D content for a couple years now, and it was actually one of the first things that I wanted to write. I always use the monster manual to um, look for, for creatures to include in my own adventures. And every time I would go through it, I would always look at the Medusa page or the Harpy page. And I just like kept 
I kept coming back to this idea of wanting to retell their stories because D&D is so interactive and it's uh, communal storytelling. I thought that that was just like the perfect avenue to to do like a myth and folklore retelling. So my original idea was just to write a couple of adventures myself. I was like, maybe I'll do a trilogy. And I just, it was kind of just like in the back of my head and I finally one day I was like, maybe I should, I should just like share this idea. I'm curious if there's even any interest in this. So I posted it on Twitter and it like exploded in a really good way. <laughs> and instantly I was like, you, there's you were no- shocked at the number of responses. Oh my gosh, totally unprepared. And I mean, it was exciting because it was very validating to see that there was interest in it in a project like that in the first place. And but then I realized like almost immediately that this is not a project that I needed to do on my own and it would be improved by making it a community project. And then from there I was like, okay, well I can probably, you know, wrangle a few of my friends to maybe produce some some adventures for this collection. But so I, I thought it, we would maybe have like, I don't know, a collection of five adventures. Little did I know that it would not stay that little for long. So I and I was about I, how many responses did you get of initial interest? Oh my gosh, I, I mean dozens. Like a hundred? Um, maybe not a hundred like right away, but it was definitely. What happened was people started to share the Twitter post, which exposed it to people who I wasn't already friends with and mutual fo- mutually following on Twitter. And so I was just getting all of these like emails and and Twitter DMs from like new people who were like, "Hey, I'm also interested in D and D, and I would really like to contribute." So I was like, "Okay, I need to like actually do something with all of this information." So I I just like quickly set up a submission page on my website, and then the submissions just like started pouring in. And it just kind of went from there. And I was like, huh, okay, this project is much bigger than I anticipated. And obviously much more special just because of this, this amazing like community around it. But yeah, it was, it was a little overwhelming because I was already invested in other projects that I was doing. I already had other deadlines and I was just like totally unprepared for such an amazing response, but I uh, made room for it as much as I I could. And, and then it just kind of escalated from there. Uh, yeah, no, this this pro- project kind of has taken on like a life of its own. I kind of watched it spread across the internet, and it's just been amazing the entire way through. Um, where have you kind of gotten support from unexpected places, like things you weren't expecting at all? Because obviously, you know, it's gone <laughs> global. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know if there's like a specific like group where that gave support where it was unexpected. I mean, it was nice to see that the greater D&D community was supportive pretty much from the get-go and people just from all walks of life were really supportive and excited, especially when I put out the call to submissions and I really emphasized that priority was given to non-binary creators and women creators and and people who whose voices aren't normally represented as much in RPG content. And people were really supportive of that. And I mean, if we have male contributors. We have, I mean, really it spans the gamut of just identity and, and uh, background. But for the most part, like it was really great to see support just from established creators and um, really excited to see these new voices being included in this project. So I don't know if it was, I guess I'm always a little, I've had a lot of negative experiences on the internet as a woman, as I think a lot of people here can probably relate to. And it's always a little scary doing something that's like overtly feminist focused. And so I was expecting like kind of an immediate backlash and it, 
even though we had some you know grumbling people it for the most part the response was initially extremely positive so that was that was really heartening also just to know that the community that i've invested so much of my life in is is supportive of this is welcoming to these types of projects and to uh, marginalized folks in general of course there's still struggles and there's still issues that we need to figure out as a community but for the most part it it's been overwhelmingly positive okay so then you haven't gotten a lot of pushback as you were saying so what do you think that kind of means for like the wider world of D&D or even just RPGs in, in general um, as far as acceptance and... Um, sure. I mean, I think that we have gotten a little bit of pushback, but it's pretty rare in terms of the wider community response. So I don't want to say that it's been, you know, all perfect, but just for the most part, I think that to me, it's indicative of like, this is what the future of D&D looks like. We, our community is what the future of this hobby is. And, and it's what the past has been too. But for the most part, like we want to see people that look like us producing these types of projects and hearing these types of, of, of stories and from our experiences. So I think that there's, um, there's an eagerness for these types of projects. And I think that that's, to me, a really exciting indicator of, of where our hobby is going to go. Okay, uh, I think we're going to talk to some of the contributors that we have on here next and kind of showcase them. Uh, Paige, did you have a question for one of them? Yeah, let's um, let's talk to Jessica. Jessica, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Are you a full-time creator? What was your contribution to Uncaged? How did you choose what to do? Hi, yeah, I used to be an opera singer. Now I'm a social worker specializing in trauma therapy and recently got into writing basically for Uncaged. One of my friends told me about it. And I thought when I first got Ashley's response to my pitch, I thought it was a bot. So I sent her a second pitch uh, because I was worried the first one wouldn't get in. And when I didn't get a response, I was worried it didn't go through. So I basically spammed Ashley with emails because I was like, your response bot isn't working. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't realize I was harassing a real person, but uh, I have written um, an adventure for Melusine, who is from French myth in volume one, and La Llorona uh, from Mexican mythology in volume four. And now I'm currently working on spearheading two uncaged spinoff projects. One is a... I'm really excited. One is a tarot deck featuring uh, uncaged artists, and it's a whole deck of our lovely uncaged monsters. And another is uh, sort of in the style of uncaged. It's basically from from the writers and artists of Uncaged, and it's an anthology of seasons, basically different uh, games to play that each feature a season specifically. So, you know, spooky adventures for fall, renewal adventures for spring, things like that. Huh, that's very cool. And you said this was your first uh, your first exposure to writing? Yeah, now I'm basically, it's my, I'm involved in so many Uncaged spinoff projects. There's a diverse NPC anthology that's coming out that I've written for. Um, I'm basically up to my elbows in Uncaged spinoff projects and other writing things for D&D that Ashley's let us know about, that I've pitched for, and that have been accepted. 
And so this has become actually a pretty positive, semi-lucrative side gig, which I never expected would happen. And yeah, it's interesting how once there's a crack in the door, it seems like there's so many other opportunities that come piling on top of it. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's like that meme, offer to create content and then get accepted. Now you're a creator forever. And then, oh, now I'm a creator forever. Oh, gosh. <laughs> right. <laughs> and this community has been so supportive. We talk about our uncaged family, but it's been so wonderful working with everybody. It's been really exciting. A little scary being in charge of things. I don't know how Ashley did this, but I think we have some good things coming up. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I'm very excited for everything that you've kind of introduced. Looking forward to that as well as the uh, additional volumes. Uh, I think Gwen uh, did a lot of the art for this. Gwen, why don't you tell us a little bit about your contribution and what else you've got going on? Uh, yeah, so saying I did a lot of the art is maybe an overstatement just because there are so many artists involved in all of this. Uh, so I did do four soon-to-be-five illustrations across the anthology, but uh, the number of artists and art, art pieces made specifically for this is way bigger than that. Um, but I'm very excited that I got to contribute to this. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have like a friend of a friend happened to reblog Ashley's call for interest, and I saw that right as I was jumping into full-time freelance illustration and I went oh that would be maybe a good portfolio project I'll just email her and see if she wants any artists also and uh flash forward six months and everything snowballed into this and it's amazing so can you describe some of your pieces of art that you contributed yeah so let's see the one that I did for volume one is a painting of a dryad for the story into the forest they fled um, for all of the pieces, I worked really closely with the authors to make sure that I was bringing their stories to life the way that they wanted and could kind of plant fun little details in the paintings that would foreshadow things in the adventure so that somebody could go back to the picture after they'd played it and go, oh, hang on, I recognize this. Um, so I, let's see, I also did a painting of a lich I'm not sure how much I'm supposed to spoil. Ashley, stop me if I say something I'm not supposed to say. You're totally fine. <laughs> Feel free to share. Um, yeah, so I made a painting of a lich, which was a lot of fun uh, because the author for that adventure in a later volume described this character as being fully skeletal, but having kind of illusory skin over her face. So I had a lot of fun figuring out how best to paint that. Um, I did one that was a... Oh no, I'm blanking. What else? I did one that was a ghost in a window, but you can't quite tell she's a ghost until you know she's a ghost. Uh, so I guess don't look at author signatures if you want that picture to be a surprise. And I'm currently working on a sea hag painting that I'm very excited for. It is in the early stages, so I can't give many details because I haven't decided on many details, but it's going to be gross and a lot of fun. How did you how did you get into fantasy art? Oh my gosh. I got into fantasy art when I was a small child and went, you know what I like? Lord of the Rings. I'm going to draw my own. And then I just kept going. Um, <laughs> I 
definitely spent all of my school time drawing on the side. I never thought that art could be something that I could do professionally. So I kind of went through high school and college going, what a fun hobby. I will never make lucrative. And then um, I finally decided earlier this year, my boring corporate office job had layoffs. And I went, you know what? I've got some savings. I'm going to go see how the thing I actually like doing turns out. And so far, it's been going well. So fingers crossed, it will continue to go well. And I will continue to be able to do the thing I love in exchange for money indefinitely. (laughs) That is a huge, scary leap. Yeah. But you're doing great. Thanks. (laughs) I think your stuff is gorgeous. Oh, thank you. you Do you have a next project? Oh, my gosh. I mean... Like Jess said, there are just so many Uncaged spinoff projects. So off the top of my head, looking at my bullet journal that I have in front of me, because I am a disorganized person who needs all the tools she can get, um, there are six different Uncaged spinoff projects that I am either in charge of or involved in in some way. In addition to a video game I'm making for funsies on the side, on my own personal time, of which I have plenty, obviously. as well as just personal personal commissions that I'm doing for people and um, a couple other projects that are not yet at the point where I think I'm allowed to announce them. So I'm keeping busy, which is nice. <laughs> Super exciting, though. Yeah. So, so obviously there is somebody in our audience, probably several somebodies, who are right now listening to you commuting to work to a job they despise going, how the hell... Do I, do I do what she has done? Do you have, do you have advice for that person that is really thirsty to, to do the thing you do? To, how, how do they get there? Um, well, I would say, first of all, start saving every penny you can because um, I was fortunate enough to have like a big fancy corporate job before I started doing this. And I only just started even like breaking even income wise, um, probably a month or two ago. Before that, it would be some work and then just savings. So that is 100% the first thing I would say is whatever money you're making, if you can't save up enough to just survive with savings alone for at least five or six months, then I would recommend that you do your best to... um, figure out a way to split your attentions between your current work and your freelance goal instead of diving in headfirst. And I know that's kind of a pessimistic answer, but I want the best for you. I want you to succeed and not feel defeated. (laughs) So I strongly recommend that. And then a lot of it is honestly just like being willing to try projects. And um, I mean, Uncaged was a huge blessing for me because everyone here has been so amazing and supportive. And the community is really focused on just making cool stuff and making a lot of it. And I think there are a lot of internet communities out there that have a similar vibe. So even though, uh, you know, the time for the call for uncaged submissions has already passed, there will be plenty more out there if you keep an open mind to cool new projects to get you started and get your foot in the door. I, I guarantee you there's somebody out there listening right now that is going, oh, yeah, yeah, taking notes. Like, you are, you are helping grow the next generation. Yeah. I believe in you, Melissa. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we have um, Kat 
Evans next. Kat, tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your contribution to Uncaged. Yes, so I'm one of those amazing global contributors that Ashley mentioned. Uh, I'm one of the British Connections, and I have a classics degree, a classics degree and a burning desire to use it to talk about cool lady monsters, which has been, oh my God, just an obsession for for ages and ages now. And I saw this call go out for Uncaged, and I thought, this looks like exactly what I want to do, like what I've wanted to do forever. So I drank some gin and I sent a pitch into Ashley and I thought, this will get rejected. I'm nobody. And it gin is always gin is always a little helpful. Uh, gin is the best creative tool in the world. Uh, Melissa, if you're out there listening to this, everything Gwen said, but also gin. Um, so yeah, I sent my pitch in. It was not rejected. And slowly throughout the process of Uncaged and the process of playtesting and editing and finally letting other people read my work, which is horrifying, it occurred to me that like this is actually something you can do. Uh, every one of us who wrote for Engaged has something cool to say to the world and the world really wants to hear it. And one of the things that's been completely amazing about Uncaged is the number of other opportunities that it's led to. So Jess already talked about the spin-off projects that we've decided to make for ourselves. Um, I mean, partly so that we can ramp up the lesbians. Someone had to say that on this podcast. <laughs> But also the number that's, of commercial that's an, opportunities. That's an internal joke from Uncaged is to, to get the lesbians wrapped up. It's not just an internal joke, it's our tagline. Yeah, it's it, become it like our volume. slogan. <laughs> I think we have to explain it in the forward for volume four. Yes. Ramp up the lesbians and um, thanks, you know who. Mm-hmm. We don't name it shame <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> But the coolest thing about this podcast is that as well as building confidence, people have come to Ashley afterwards and I think come to some of the writers independently and said, hey, you're good. You have important stuff to say. Come and write for us and we will pay you both in actual money, which is cool, but also in validation and giving you a platform. It's wild. can Can you tell us a little bit about your writing process? Yeah. What What is a process? Is a process when you scribble down 15 or 16 different bullet points and then cry and then drink more gin and then slowly the bullet points turn into an adventure? I mean, I'm pretty sure that's how Finnegan's Wake was written, wasn't it? (laughs) That is certainly a process and I'm not really sure why you're watching me when I'm doing my writing. (laughs) Oh good, it's all of us. (laughs) (laughs) So the writing process for Uncaged specifically started out with the story that I wanted to tell and as soon as I thought about monsters and specifically monsters that weren't men I thought about othering and the way that people in the queer community and people who um, are non-binary or gender non-conforming get othered and get turned into monsters and from there I got to I got to the Lamia which is an absolutely classic sexy girl monster sexuality scary women are scary and one interesting twist that i discovered when i was reading about the mythology of the lamia is that at one point some historian some anthropologist anthropologist antiquarian rather somewhere decided that sexy women weren't scary enough and they made the lamia a gender non-conforming monster and i thought wow yeah this this really resonates with me this is this is going to be a story about how challenging people people who are difficult people who 
won't fit in and won't shut up, get othered and turned into monsters and pushed out onto the fringes of society. And the adventure that I wrote from that uh, crammed into 3,000 words. This was a really big topic for 3,000 words, you guys. I learned an important lesson here was, yeah, about the othered community striking back and kind of reclaiming their position and reclaiming what they deserve. Like, until you've tried to write something in 3,000 words, you have no idea how few words that is. That has to be incredibly difficult to go into your your beloved text with a knife and say, what is not vital here? All of it. All of it is. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about how, what your contribution is like, what your story is like? I mean, obviously, don't... No spoilers, but can you just give us a, a bit of an overview about why your story is super interesting? Oh, wow. Uh, when you ask why my story is super interesting, I kind of want to go, but they're all super interesting. Everybody said something super interesting. Like, you know, Ashley loves every one of her babies, but she loves no one of them more than the rest. And we all feel that way. But tell us, tell us why your story is interesting. So one of the reasons I think my story is interesting is because it's entirely possible to do the whole thing without any combat. It's very much a social scenario and it's something where the power of words is really what defines your success or your failure in the adventure. It's something where fighting the monster does not solve the problem. If, if you fight my monster, a lot of good people are going to end up... Um, probably dead at the very least impoverished and in a much worse position a few years down the line whereas just talking and being willing to listen to a viewpoint that you've been told is you know probably being espoused by something evil and monstrous and scary will get you a lot further and will allow you to make compromises and negotiate a solution that works for everyone and that's what i'm really proud of yeah that's that's a non-traditional approach to problem solving in dungeons and dragons for sure. For sure. Yeah, you could say that. Speaking of, you know, not being able to choose a favorite child, um, we couldn't even narrow it down to a single volume. Um, so, Ashley, do you want to give us a kind of a preview of volumes two through four, what people can expect and what, what they're honestly probably craving a lot more of already? <laughs> sure. So we have a lot of new creatures in the next few volumes, but there's also some creatures that were featured in volume one. There's another Medusa module. Um, there's a few more Banshee stories in volume two specifically, since I'm like actively working on it now. There's there's quite a few um, creatures from Slavic culture. So there's um, Rusalkas, which actually will be the cover creature for volume two. So you, he you heard it here first. And... Um, Ooh, we got the scoop. You got the scoop. And hopefully we'll do a cover reveal for that in, in the near future. But we're, we're really trying to make sure that we focus on uh, spreading the word about Volume 1. But it is, Volume 2 is coming very soon. And there's some really interesting creatures in Volumes 3 and 4. In Volume 3, there's a story about the Yuki Ana, which is a Japanese demon creature and in volume four there's a mandarugo which is um, a filipino creature and, and there's just we really tried to focus and highlight on creatures that aren't just from western mythology because the world's vault of legend and folklore is so rich and we wanted it to really 
reflect the creators who are writing these stories, many of whom are have picked creatures from their own their own cultures. Um, I wrote a module for volume two that's about Baba Yaga. I'm half Russian, so it was important to me to like pull from my own kind of personal heritage to to write a story about that. So yeah, I would say that there's there's lots of new creatures to look forward to, but also some familiar creatures and plenty of new spins on on each on each of those creatures. So it'll be it'll be really exciting. And I think I think I see the whole collection as such a valuable resource for DMs because you can really slot these adventures into any existing campaign. And they're all very atmospheric and have just interesting gameplay opportunities. Some are very roleplay focused and some are a little bit more combat focused. Most of them have some some challenge that has to deal with strategy. Just like how can we it's not that we shy away from combat, but that's what I think makes Uncaged Stories really interesting is that a lot of the adventures kind of challenge the idea of combat as the answer, as of violence as the answer. And that was actually a struggle for a lot of the writers, including myself, was like, how do we end this adventure without just a bunch of bodies? Like, is there a way that we can present new opportunities to players and DMs where they could really challenge the way that their players navigate through these fictional worlds? So... Yeah, lots, lots to look forward to. Um, lots of new adventures for your table. So, the three thousand word limit got brought up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, how did you decide on three thousand words, and why did you choose such short adventures? Yeah, and this this was a challenge for me as well. So, I totally can sympathize with the other writers. But my goal with this project, I always consider it to be amplification versus having books and books and books of content. So I I really wanted to feature as many new voices as we could, but also not oversaturate the DMs guild market. Like of course I want to our group to produce as much content as as we can. And I, I want to see more of our creators um, creating adventures for the RPG community. But when it came to this project specifically, I I wanted to have a nicely polished collection of books but still be able to feature a lot of new voices. So that meant making some restrictions. And actually, um, M.T. Black, who's a really prolific author in the RPG community, he always says that the ideal one-shot adventure length is like 3,500 words. So I kind of based the 3,000 word limit off of that information, which I think is actually appropriate. I think that writers often assume that a one-shot adventure needs a lot more information than it does. So I think that really like honing in on what the the actual, the most important information is, is perfectly doable in a 3,000 word limit. It's not easy, and I will never say that it's easy, but it's definitely doable. And I actually think that having that restriction really helped make a lot of these stories shine because people weren't getting bogged down in and including lore that wasn't necessary. So yeah, that was that's the thought process behind the, the word count. It was, I just... It was important to me to really feature as many people as possible while also making a realistically usable book for for DMs and making it a good resource for them. Oh, man. So I just went back and checked my uh, encounters that I did for the tactical map thing. 2,034 <laughs> words. Um, yeah. And, and that was that was rough. It was rough. It was tough. <laughs> yeah, I think mine were about that too, which is funny because when I was writing that, I was like, because I also, since I also wrote a module for Uncaged, like I know what the I know that the word limit is hard, and it feels really hard to put a whole adventure with all of these ideas into that amount of space. So it's definitely not easy, but I I really think that 
the best parts that are left in these adventures within that word count are the what were supposed to be the most important parts anyway. So it's it's hard, and I'm I'm so proud of these creators, some of whom are experienced and have written lots of adventures, and some are brand new, and everyone just to have a to complete an adventure in the first place, I consider to be such an accomplishment. So I I think it's it's even more special that they were able to take these kind of restrictive rules and really just make them special. Yeah, it's like the old uh, old joke, I would have written you a shorter letter, but I didn't have the time. <laughs> right. Uh, speaking of time, how if a DM is looking at buying uh, Uncaged to run for their group, uh, how long does each adventure take about, and how many adventures are there in the book about? So in Volume 1, there's 25 adventures, and there will be 25 also in Volume 2, and then 3 and 4, um, each will have around 20 adventures. And I mean, that I, I would like to let some of the other contributors speak to how long they think their adventures should go, but I would say that each one usually can last between, I would say, 2 and 5 hours, just because the word count is fairly minimal, um, doesn't mean that there's not a lot to do and play in, in these stories. So I don't know, that's kind of like what I aimed for in in setting the word count for a one-shot adventure is like what's an actual one-shot length it's usually just a handful of hours so um, I would say that that's probably the range but maybe someone else can weigh in yeah let's open this up to the group what do you what do y'all think how how long do you think your adventures will take one thing that I've discovered is that my adventures not speaking about uncaged but generally adventures that I've written and released on the DMs Guild totally depends on the group some adventures will whiz through on some groups will whiz through one of my adventures in about three hours others will take one session to get to the end of chapter one naming no names nemo <laughs> <laughs> i think a lot of the adventures in uncaged they've got so much opportunity for role play that it's quite hard to time them in my play tests uh for one of them a family reunion that's the melusine adventure that one went fairly quickly i think it was two to three hours but the one in volume four is a mystery. And so there's a lot of investigation going on in there. And that one took the players a while. I think that was three to four hours in one of the play tests. And in an earlier play test, it wasn't finished. But that was because the DM did not use any of the monster stats and made up their own. So that was an interesting choice for a playtest. <laughs> yeah, not so hot there. Adventure links are really funny because like, um, like Kat said, they really vary depending on, on the group. Like, I, I have this adventure that I've been running since, since I... I 3.5 that was about four years ago and every time it goes differently sometimes I finish it in two hours and sometimes it takes me three sessions and it's exactly the same like a few things change and, um, when I play tested my adventure the guardian of the forest it took me about about some four hours a little bit more with my group because they uh, they usually take some time but it was recently streamed in Scraticus Academy, and I believe it, it took them under three hours to play adventure. So, yeah, I think it really depends on the people who are playing. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, obviously, yes, it it depends on the group, but it's 
it's good for people to know that these adventures are kind of small bites, like one night or one afternoon generally, with exceptions that, that abound. For sure. And that was kind of the goal was to make them helpful resources to put into existing campaigns or to even some people are linking them together to create like actual uncaged campaign, which I think is super cool. And there's a lot of potential there. Like one group, I think they're each um, monster hunters and every time they encounter the creatures in the uncaged adventures, like it kind of changes their perspective on monsters. So that's really fun, but they, I think that you, you can also build upon them and make them into longer sessions. So it's really, it's, it's ultimately just a resource um, and and kind of guidelines for for interesting stories. So I think there's a lot that you can do with them at this length. For for reference, if uh, if you're in our audience and you play Adventures League, a two hour adventure for Adventures League is about five thousand words, exclusive of stat blocks and appendices and boilerplate text. That sounds pretty much spot on. I struggled with that. I, I do too, <laughs> big time. Okay, uh, I think we've still got a couple left. Liz, about how long does yours typically run? Yeah, I'm a writer in, uh, no, I'm not a writer. Oh, oh I, you, you're <laughs> a... oh my, oh, how, in, how, in, how embarrassing. <laughs> um, I'm not. It's okay. I embarrassed myself. Um, I'm not a writer for Uncaged. I had actually, um, I thought about writing, but at the time I wasn't, I was kind of still coming off the back of um, a somewhat bad depression related um, ending of a campaign that I'd really loved. And so wasn't really in the right frame of mind to start writing an adventure, but I did art for cat's adventure and i have signed up just this morning to do even more art for volumes three and four including of pages um which is exciting um i'm super excited i can't wait to see it yeah yeah surprise (laughs) (laughs) um and i i did quite a bit of editing across a few adventures as well as sort of initial desperate word calling in Kat's adventure to just try and squeak it within the mark. Um, That's always a funny point in a relationship. Like I, my (laughs) husband, bless his sweetheart, like he's wordy, like he's super wordy and I have to go in there with a flensing knife and then he looked up what a flensing knife was, which is something that uh, whalers would use to cut blubber off of whales. And he's like, are you saying my box text is blubber? I'm like, dude, I... <laughs> I, I might have given uh, him feedback on a playtest about his box text. I'm just yeah. saying. Just saying. I love yeah. you. I love you. Yeah. So it's Please. like, it is a point in a relationship when you are taking <laughs> their babies and murdering them. Luckily, it's also what I do in my day job a lot of the time. Um, I'm a bid writer, which means that I get to, one, translate for technical people, and two, chop responses for bids in half. Um, Just last Friday, I was cutting out like 2,000 words out of a document and wanting to cry. And that was with my own words, so... 
<laughs> bravery. Um, but I will say I have uh, submitted an idea to one of the uncaged spin-offs that I'm that will be my first proper published adventure um, that I'm very excited about and nervous as hell about. Um, and in terms of writing, uh, a few weeks before I'm, volume one of Uncaged came out, uh, Kat and I published our first joint product on DM Guild, which was Tell extraordinary. Ins- um, <laughs> it was um, extraordinary inns and taverns, um, which started with me having this idea for a dryad that had an inn that could kind of shift around to different trees that grew from the acorns of her own tree. And I couldn't think of what to do with it. So I was explaining it to Kat and we kind of got to the idea of let's do a whole bunch of them. Um, And so there are 10 um, different locations and they're all, some of them are bizarre. Some of them are just, uplifted from your average inn and tavern um and we really tried to make sure that it was also nicely representative there are queer characters there are um characters that are um, explicitly of color there are um so many queer relationships and women and things like that and we've had an enormously positive response we've hit electrum I think we hit Electrum in the first two weeks that we were published. Um, oh, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I knew it was doing well. I didn't know it was doing that yeah. well. That's amazing. Um, and everyone who's got it um, has basically just said, this is what I've been looking for. And it shocked me kind of that that, that niche hadn't been filled by anyone yet because taverns are such a classic D&D thing. But it was, it's been great. <laughs> I'll speak to how great that module is. I love your Inns and Taverns supplement. Thank you. It's, I'm so pleased with it. There was a lot of late nights that went into it. Um, <laughs> Tell us and, a little more about publishing on the DMs Guild. Because Melissa, bless her heart, is out there listening now. And uh, is like, what is the DMs Guild? How does this work? Can you tell tell Melissa a little about that? Um, so, Kat had experience of publishing um, her hag patron and her first adventure, The White Lady, already. So, she had come into the project, thankfully, with any clue what she was doing. Um, and I fed off that and... D- leaned on her greatly for it um and she did the layout because I don't have the patience for it and shockingly she did um Melissa or anyone out there the first thing I can recommend and the best thing I can recommend is even if you don't want to put money down on InDesign go and download the CS2 copy that Adobe offers for free because they don't support it anymore it will make your life a lot easier once you figure out how to use it. 
So um, I, I know Adobe has free CS2 Photoshop. They have a free CS2 InDesign? The whole creative suite is <gasps> CS2 is free. <laughs> Mind blown. Uh, we're um, going to have to put that in our show notes. <laughs> How did I not tell you about that before? I don't know. I missed it. I'm so sorry. The other thing is... Invest time in looking for license-free art, um, open license art, especially public domain things. I think there's probably about 35 pages worth of content in uh, Inns and Taverns, but there's, I think it ended up about 45 pages, and that's because we managed to, we spent so long trying to find art that would get across the feel of each tavern um, at a glance, even just flicking th um, through the PDF. And it helps so much and it helps you stand apart from a crowd of a bunch of other things in DM's Guild that has just plain text in it. Because it, it lets people know that you put a little bit extra in yeah, I'm, I'm very guilty of plain text DM skilled stuff. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it, but if you have the time to, to actually polish it up and amplify it, then it makes a really pretty pro product. Actually, that, that reminds me... Uh, yes, uh, first of all, somebody had pointed out in our in internal chat, if you have the budget, pay an artist. Like... Absolutely step one. Of course, that's predicated on if you have a budget. Um, Ashley, what was the cartography for Uncaged like? Where'd you get the cartography? Yeah, so cartography was a little tricky in this kind of a project because not every writer felt like a map was needed. And um, so a lot of them just focused on theater of the mind, which I think works for adventures that are fairly short. And um other than that, some of the creators actually drew their own maps for the first time, which I think is really cool and awesome. So we have some beautiful maps, like um, Elise Crittell drew the map for her adventure, uh, Heart of a Goddess. And some of the other maps we licensed from Dyson Logos, who does a lot of official maps for Wizards of the Coast and offers just a bunch of gorgeous maps available for, for uh, commercial use. So we were happy to use some of the maps that Dyson had created. So it was kind of a mix between the contributors offering their maps and using stock maps. The only kind of consideration was to... Uh, make them somewhat uniform with the anthology. Like we want everyone's adventure to stand on its own. And there's obviously lots of different art styles already in the collection. But when it came to maps, we wanted them to be somewhat simple and just have the kind of traditional uh, black and white style, just so they're easy and readable for, for DMs. So that was, that was the main consideration and just making sure that a map was necessary. I think maps are super necessary. I think there are people who struggle with theater of the mind and we do want to keep that, you know, as a consideration, but since these adventures can be used in so many different ways, like not every writer felt it was necessary. So we um, also included all the maps at the back of the book and as a printable file in the digital version. So that is super easy for, for DMs to implement into their games. Huh, cool. Excellent. Uh, I, for those of you who haven't seen it, the layout of Uncaged is freaking gorgeous. D who did the layout? That was me, of course, aided by the 
gorgeous art contributors, which really, I mean, their original illustrations really take it to the next level. But yeah, yeah the, the, the layout was uh, by yours truly. So, and I actually love, I love doing layout. And so any opportunity I get to lay out my own adventures, I always, I always gladly take that opportunity. But, and it was, it actually took me a long time to really settle on what I wanted the layout to be. There's like obviously an endless amount of choices for how you can design a module. So I always try to prioritize readability and I would actually really like to make um, a more accessible version of the digital edition of, of Uncaged to make sure that people who use screen readers can really access the book as, as much as possible. Um, but for the print layout, um, I just wanted the information to be easily accessible and to just have the story really shine. So I didn't want to over over design it and which is which is nice because people have really spoken to how readable it is so i'm glad that we've accomplished that yeah it's just a, it's just a pretty book it's just pretty it is really pretty i'm really I'm, I'm really pleased just to see how everyone's adventures just look all in one volume and how all the art even even though each of it has its own distinct feel how it all feels like it's part of the same collection and yeah, I think it. I think it just turned out really, really special just to see if it all come together like that. I mean, absolutely. And I think uh, I think we've got one more left. Nemo, do you want to tell us about your contribution to Uncaged and any projects uh, or whatever? <laughs> sure. Um, well, my contribution, like I said before, was uh, the Guardian of the Forest. It's a tier two adventure. And it is my first published adventure. I mean, I had written some things before, but they were always for, you know, me and my friends. I never had to think of publishing something. So it was quite a challenge, but it was very, very interesting. I learned a lot and I made so many new connections through one case. And I think that's one of the most marvelous things about the project, how it brought so many members of our community together. Um, my adventure focuses on the Medusa, and uh, I chose her, well, it was actually kind of funny. I had already started writing an adventure about the Medusa when I saw uh, Ashley calling, calling in pitches for Uncaged. So I thought, well, why not? Let's give it a try. I mean, and uh, well, since then, yeah. yeah can Sorry, it's like there's your, there's your sign, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, it just you know when you just stop and think, huh? That's a weird coincidence. I liked it. Um, the well, I don't have a lot of experience with writing, you know, it has been always um, for me, to me, but I decided to focus on the mechanical aspects of this adventure. So I thought about what would make it um, tactically interesting, what are things that I don't usually see in adventures that I like seeing. And I try to just put that there, you know, like make the combats really shine because I, I really think it's amazing when people can make an adventure that's just, you can go through it without combat. But for me, D&D &D is about combat. It's one of the three pillars that keep it up. And um, I honestly don't enjoy myself as much when I don't have a combat, but I think it's really important to have a purpose in that combat. 
and I, I really tried to put that into my adventure. Um, well, the next projects that everyone's talking about is um, I am taking part in the Seasons anthology that was already mentioned here. But out of that, um, I'm also taking part in a diverse NPCs project. And I saw that MT Black is um, organizing a one-page dungeon contest, if I'm not mistaken. And I definitely want to check that one out. But one thing that's not related we'll, to DNA. We'll have to get that in our show notes, too. Yeah, it's, it's really looking good, you know. I like getting inspiration from the one-page dungeons. That's a different thing. But when I saw like Black saying that, I was like, I gotta try this, man. I gotta go after this one. Uh, uh, and I'm also going to try to take part part in a um, short stories anthology that has nothing to do with D&D. But um, I really felt inspired by Encase to go after the things that I want to do. Even if I can't, I, I don't know if I'm going to do it, you know? Yeah, and, and I mean, I think that's one of the most wonderful things about this project is like how many people it's inspired. It's just, I, I mean, I want to write more creative things now even. <laughs> and, and I'm going to soon. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> going to. Yeah. We can do it, guys. Yeah. And you can do a lot of it if you buy a whiteboard. Yes, very true. I love my whiteboard. <laughs> Is that a success? Uh, you know, I think it's one of the pillars. We're big on pillars, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. for sure. It's um, social combat and whiteboards. <laughs> organization. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think for creation, it's uh, organization, uh, execution, and conception Jen. Mm. yeah I, I hear your project I manager did. training coming in right over there <laughs> who me no yeah, yeah. <laughs> my whiteboard has a chibi captain marvel on it and i love her so much <laughs> nice horrible mine has mysteriously um sprouted a bunch of images of mice been drawn on it i'm not really sure who in this house might have done that <laughs> they're real cute though mine so so one thing on that I think uh, one one thing that I keep going back to is uh, how how do we take this information that we have and turn it into solid advice for women and people from other minority group breaking into writing for Dungeons and Dragons? Like we we've been joking about talking to this hypothetical woman, Melissa, uh, but. I'd, I'd love to hear from all of you some of your advice for someone who's listening to this going, wow, I kind of want to do that, but I don't know where to start. I mean, obviously a whiteboard. But after after this person gets the whiteboard, then then where do we start? Um, sure. I mean, I, I can maybe just, just from my own kind of experience doing this project, I think that it's important to empower each other because... I, I think that, and I've seen some research on this, that women especially tend to opt, they like self-select out of opportunities if they don't consider themselves to be 100% qualified for something. And whereas our cisgender male peers don't necessarily think that way, they think, you know, they, they just go for opportunities because they assume that 
they are qualified enough, whether or not that's true. And so I think that a lot of it is just a matter of of education and empowerment kind of together to actually actively offer opportunities to marginalized communities to show that their contributions, their experiences are valid. And I think that really reaching, making an effort to reach out to people is is extremely important. And I tried to do that with Uncaged. Eventually, I just got so so many submissions that I didn't feel it was quite as necessary. But I tried to reach out to creators whose voices I, I wanted to see involved in the project. And I think that extending an invitation to people is empowering. To see that someone believes in you and wants you to be involved is empowering. So I think that the more that we can actually put that in a into into action and invite people into projects and give them a chance to actually create something and have something that is shared with the community like there's actual tangible product I think is is really important that and that's something that I I try to always do that's why I try to pass along writing opportunities to the community and I, I think just paying it forward but by actually like putting your money where your mouth is and extending those opportunities to people who who might not think that they're qualified for it all right so so the one thing a woman creator can do is if you've got your foot in a door somewhere extend a handout to other women and minority creators i mean i, th- I think that's ab- absolutely true i mean i well, my, my opinion here on how you can get started and how you can encourage women and other minorities um is something that all of us right here are definitely doing is be that representation in the community um make sure that you speak up you you talk about um your experiences and offer kind of that guiding hand um and for me i am always willing to help uh, anyone um even even cis het white men so i'm not i'm not going to leave anyone out but i mean anyone especially especially you know those who were kind of targeting with this book to to get a leg up and an introduction into the community you got some editing skills and you want to try that let me know because i always need an editor for the love of god um (laughs) you you know have some wonderful art and you want to do it send me a the link a picture something your art i probably know someone who's doing some adventures and needs an artist um you want to write boy howdy do i know people who need writers so like just let people know you want in i mean i know it's hard and i know it's scary to speak up and take that first step but we're all here for you whether it's melissa mary janet karen whoever all of you, um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Billy, Tom, whoever, you know, uh, we're all we're all here for you, and we want you to succeed as a community. We support each other, and that's the most important thing to me. Anyways, off my soapbox now. Right, right. So, I mean, one thing to look at is: are there things going on like Uncaged or Empty Black's one-page dungeon contest? Uh, but another way to do it is to kind of rattle social networks and also self-advertise on those social networks that you are interested in working, right? Is that what we're kind of coming to a consensus of? I think that's what everyone's been been saying. Does anybody else have any um, advice specifically that they would like to share? Yes, I have opinions. (laughs) As we all do. 
be brave and don't wait. Mm-hmm. Uncaged, with its 100 contributors and its four volumes, has proved that the internet wants to read more from people like us and just from a huge range of people. And the DMs Guild is right there. There is no barrier to entry. Write something, publish something, be proud of what you've done and talk about it. And you will find that there is a huge community waiting out there on social media, whether we know you or not, to read what you've done and talk about how good it is. Put yourself out there, Melissa. Yeah, you can do it, Melissa. (laughs) I mean, if if there is Melissa listening in, we believe in you. Melissa Strong. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We are Melissa. Um, Well, does anybody have anything else they want to share about anything to do with this, your projects, whatever, before we go to the wrap and telling everyone where to find you? I had um, one thought to kind of jump off what Kat just said. Uh, In addition to encouraging everyone to just start making stuff and go for it, uh, it is extraordinarily helpful in my experience to work on things with people because they can be a lot of motivation and a lot of support when you are feeling down because your project that you worked months on only got two retweets and one reblog on Tumblr And that can be really discouraging, but when you work on things with a group of people, you are able to kind of mitigate that feeling, and then you start building that community that we keep talking about, like we've found with Uncaged, you can find with your friends who are just interested in doing cool stuff. Um, So in addition to encouraging people to make stuff, I would say don't make stuff in a vacuum. Like try to find collaborators early because in the long run, you'll make better things and you will burn yourself out less while doing it. I'll be that friend. That's really excellent advice. Uh, And I I assume uh, we'll probably have people's Twitter addresses uh, at the end of the show. Is I assume most of us would be okay if people contacted us to ask questions about collaboration. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. All right. That's a resounding unanimous yes. (laughs) (laughs) I think if we've proven anything here today, it's that we are all extremely chatty and willing to go on monologues at the drop of a hat about creative things. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, uh, this this is my opinion. I really feel that the internet, the great democratizer, and the DMs Guild has really helped catalyze a revolution for women and other minorities in D&D. I think women are kind of on the forefront of the less traditional gamer groups that are flourishing. But uh, this is the golden age, I believe, for women in D&D. There are so many cool women authors, artists, game designers, streamers, creators, DM, uh, that that have never existed before, or if they existed, did not get the exposure that you can now through Twitch and Twitter and various things on the internet. So it's, it's a great time to be a women creator. Yeah, I feel like I see a lot lately about like, why is D&D so popular all of a sudden? And I think a lot of that is due to marginalized people who are actually visible now in the shows that we're watching and we see their names on new projects. And I think that 
women, non-binary people, people of color have, have been a part of the D&D community for, since its inception, but we didn't really see those people reflected in, in the stories that were being played and in what we thought of as a D&D player. So I think that, I think that like the uncaged community is, is just kind of a microcosm of a bigger movement, but I really see that this group of people is really what's kind of leading, leading the change. So I could not, I could not agree with that more for sure. Yeah, one one thing you can say about Critical Role is all of the and the Adventure Zone and Nerd Poker and all of the other streaming uh, streaming shows is that it, all of a sudden women playing D anD D just got hard normalized. Like that is that is now totally a thing. Like when I was very young, I did not meet another woman who played D anD D until I was in college, and now you can't look at D&D or learn about D&D without learning about women playing D&D. Yeah, it's still, it's, it's so normal to me now because most, almost everyone that I collaborate with personally is a woman or like just from a marginalized community in, in general. So like to me, like that's, that's my community and that's what it looks like. Even in my home games, the people at my table are of all different backgrounds and, and, um, and culture. So I feel like that's it's it's interesting to me that that's still like a thing for people and I play in a show on the official D&D channel and um that has all women and our and our DM is non-binary and people are like oh girls playing D&D and I'm like this is normal for us this is what our grains look like like we play mostly with with people like us and so I'm hoping that that'll continue to be more and more common but I feel like it's almost like a, a given these days that like yeah the community is not the people who play D&D are not just a bunch of cis white men. Like, it's so much bigger than that. It's almost like women are 50% of the population of the world. And, you know, LGBT are somewhere between 10 and 20% of the population. So, what? It's weird, Imagine. right? Imagine. <laughs> what a concept. I feel like for Uncaged, like, the I would say the vast majority of our creators are LGBT. QIA, which I think is really also what makes it special and why when we do get the one negative review we've received was because there were like too many lesbians in our project. <laughs> I was like, well, that's because the people making these stories are lesbians or bisexual. Like that's who we are. So why wouldn't our stories reflect who we are in some capacity? So yeah, I think that that's having that and it's again that's normal like I wasn't I didn't when I put out the call for submissions I wasn't like lesbians only so I mean it's that's been an awesome just like result that it just happens that most of our creators are are queer in some way and I think that that we can write stories about that experience is is really special stories to rile up the lesbians <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's like, I don't normally respond to troll comments because I think that it's sometimes just a not not worth our time but I I do feel like we have a responsibility as the creators of this project to respond to comments like that and so I rather facetiously told that person that we're going to ramp up the lesbians in volume in volume uh, two so hopefully we will actually make that a reality yeah no absolutely absolutely and you know I just want to clarify and, and point to what I said a moment ago you know women are 50% of the population um, you know approximately but you know there are also non-binary people out there who are a large percentage of the population um, I'm not good at the statistics on this but last I saw in the US alone um, there were 
four to six percent of the population who identified as that and I, I think that's that's really just um, wonderful and it's great that people feel um, more and more comfortable like expressing their gender expression and their sexuality and just being who they are and I, I really love this project and the, the projects that are going to spawn from it really just kind of embrace that as well and we're all just free to be who we are and see that represented in a positive way in our yes. games yes absolutely representation is so important on the back of that um so i've i've identified as a gender for years but not really been particularly open about it until the last year and i think uncaged is the first community where I've just been like yeah I'm I'm a gender I'm non-binary and it's just been a thing it's been it's been notable for how not notable it is and it's made me so much more comfortable with being that publicly and it's just one one of the many reasons that I think the uncaged community has become so close-knit because it is a safe space for all of us to just be and share and grow and joke about the people who would rather we just be quiet. Absolutely. I almost feel like I'm going to tear up here. I'm so happy. <laughs> um, but uh, I think, I'm not sure who wants to speak about it, but we've got a stream event that we're going to... Um, give a little shout out for real quick and then we're going to go to wrap up so we are doing a 24-hour charity stream on april 13th to 14th to benefit rain and it's kind of in the spirit of our project to give voice to the voiceless so we think that this is a great opportunity to to use the project that we've created to generate funding for um, a really important organization here in in the u.s so you can find information about that. It'll be on my website very soon. Actually, I'm going to post it today. So hopefully by the time you hear this, it will be up there. And that's ashleywarrenwrites.com slash uncaged. And we're partnering with an awesome organization called Non-Toxic Gaming. And they're um, our official partners for the project. And we're going to have um, a bunch of uncaged modules that we're going to be playing through throughout the 24 hours. And some other fun interludes and a bunch of really incredible giveaways that I'm excited to share soon, but we're still confirming some of those. So if you want to tune in that weekend, we'll have a lot of great content and you can see for yourself how how wonderful Uncaged Adventures are. And we also have a, a Facebook event. So if you go to Facebook and look up Uncaged Charity Stream, you should be able to find it and you can RSVP. All right. Well, you've made my plans then. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> we'll definitely put that in the show notes as well. Okay, so we are going to go to the wrap-up portion of our show. Um, that'll be where we each state our name again and tell everyone where to find us. So I'll go ahead and start this. Um, my name is Jenny, and you can find me on Twitter at Jenny Loveday. That's G-I-N-N-Y-L-O-V-E-D-A-Y. You can find me on Facebook at the same and on Instagram at G underscore Loveday. Paige? Alrighty, I'm Paige Lightman, and you can find me on Twitter at P-A-I-G-E-L-E-I-T-M-A-N. You can find me with the same name on Facebook, or if you go to the main D&D 5th Edition Facebook group, you can find me there as well. Also, you can find the Roundtable 
on uh, Twitter at D, the letter N, D, Roundtable. Facebook is the same name. And if you want to send us some email about the show, hit us up on Gmail at D, the letter N, D, Roundtable at gmail.com. All right, now we're going to go to our amazing guests from this show. Ashley, tell everyone where they can find you. Sure. So first of all, thank you for having us. It was so fun to talk to everyone. Um, I'm Ashley Warren, and you can connect with me on Twitter at Ashley N.H. Warren. My website is AshleyWarrenWrites.com. I'm also on Facebook, Ashley Warren Writes, and on Instagram, A. Warren Writes. I know that one's a little different, but you can find me if you just search for my name on most of those platforms. Okay. Uh, and how about Kat? Tell everyone where they can find you. Yeah, so first, thank you for letting me ramble at you for so long. Um, if anybody wants to hear more of my rambling and incoherent thoughts, you can find me on Twitter at Perpetual Gloom. That's P-E-R-P-E-T-U-A-L-G-L-O-O-M. Or if you really want to, you could go look for me on DMs Guild and you could find a book about cool inns and taverns. Oh, man, that's, that's, actually, that's actually great. Um, give us the link to that and we'll put it on the show notes. Um, how about... Awesome. How about uh, you, Gwen? Um, yeah, so I am GwendyB across the internet. That's G-W-E-N-D-Y-B-E-E. -E. Um, I have accounts on Twitter, on Patreon, on Twitch, on Tumblr, on Facebook, on YouTube. I never use YouTube. We don't, don't go there. And I also have an Instagram. It's GwendyB underscore arts with an S because someone took regular GwendyB. Um, you what? can check out. I know. It's fine. Whatever. I'm not mad, but you can check out my art all over the internet. Uh, you can talk to me about pretty much whatever. You can pay me money in exchange for art. I will happily accept. That's about it. All right. Nemo, where can everyone find you? Uh, hi. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at, um, at AwkwardBards. That's A-W-K-W-A-R-D-B-R-D. My hands are open. You can come in any time to talk about D&D or just talk about plants. I have a lot of plants and I love them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think you did miss a letter there. It's, yeah, barred with an A. Oops. No, you're Yeah, it, it, there's an A there. It's barred with an A. <laughs> We've got it right in the show notes, so everyone will get to it. Uh, Thanks. You're good. Liz. Um, yep, so I'm on Twitter at crit underscore liz um interestingly it started as an inside joke with cat and i and then just fit into DD &D so well um and you can find ins and taverns extraordinary ins and taverns on dm's guild um and i've got myself spread across so many other projects soon um and as others have said hit me up on uh, in DMs if you want any sort of art or uh, development editing or writing or anything. I'm a very friendly person, honest. Alright, and then last but certainly not least, Jess, where can everyone find you? Uh, thank you so much for having me. It was really awesome being here. You can find me on Twitter at miss underscore jess zero three and i primarily tweet about politics mental health gaming and cats so if that's your what you're into come on by <laughs> uh yeah no i've got 
Yeah, mine's gaming and cats. Cats, cats, cats. Um, and my face. Sorry, everyone. Um, but yeah, no, so thank you so much to all of our wonderful guests. Um, this show has been absolutely amazing. Can't wait to get it posted. Um, that being said, that's going to be it for this episode of the Roundtable. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes or your podcast getting platform of choice or on Facebook. We'd love to know what you think about our show. We'd love to hear your feedback. And thank you so much for listening. That's it for this episode. Thanks.